Well, good morning, church family. Welcome. I and I know our team jo- uh, joins me in as well in thanking you for being here. It's a joy that you're here. I want to thank Pastor Zach. I want to thank our worship team. And I want to pause for just a moment and say to you that, uh, and just acknowledge, are we not of all churches to be blessed by this worship team? <laughs> and I say that with as much veracity as I can muster in my heart. I, uh, there's an anointing on this pastor and this team. There's a, a sweetness, is there not, to our worship? I'm just grateful. I personally, just as a follower of Christ, I'm grateful. So grateful. This is the day that traditionally we celebrate what we call Palm Sunday. It's the day where we recognize traditionally that Christ triumphantly entered Jerusalem. There's so many things about that event uh, to recall. But one thing I remember, maybe you do as well, is that they were singing this song. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. It was a a messianic psalm. And the Pharisees, and beware of religious folks, amen? (laughs) The Pharisees were saying to Christ, hey, stop them from singing the song. Tell them to be quiet. And what they were saying and implying is that you're not the Christ. (laughs) That's to be reserved for the one, for the Messiah. And do you remember Jesus' reply? There you go. He said, hey, if they stop, even these stones are going to sing. So let's join the stones today and singing, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the significance today as we think about this week. And if the Lord wills and Friday comes, the day we celebrate his crucifixion and Sunday, his glorious resurrection, let's examine the significance of his death today, shall we? Let's Survey the cross. Are you familiar with that word survey? It may not be one that you use often. It occurs as a noun. It also occurs as a verb. And where it occurs as a verb, it says something like this. It's to look carefully or thoroughly at someone or something. It's to view or consider comprehensively. So what does that mean? So it means that if you survey something, you take more than just a quick look. It's more than just a glance. It's more than just a once-over, and you look away. Instead, what you do is you purposefully and carefully, intentionally focus, and you analyze, you ponder, and you think so that you understand it better. So this morning, I want to invite you to look carefully through the lens of Scripture. I want to invite you to survey, to survey the cross with me. So let's get started, shall we? Here's the first thing the Bible teaches us when we survey the cross biblically. We see that if you're a note taker, it's number one in your notes, that Jesus' death on the cross was God's plan, God's plan, From the beginning. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a contingency. No, there was no plan B. It was plan A. From the beginning before the foundations of the world were laid. And one of the places we see this is one of the earliest preaching of the church. It's found in the book of Acts. Uh, 
Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. And Peter, the apostle Peter, is standing up on that great day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given and the church was born. And here's what he says. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up, and here it is, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So in other words, Peter is saying, this Jesus who you know, this was a gathering of Jews. It just had been a, a few days, a number of days between Christ's crucifixion. Just days ago, you crucified him. This is part of what God had already determined in advance should happen. It's what God foreknew. Before the foundations of the world were laid, it was His will. So as you and I look at the significance of the cross today, as we survey the cross, one of the things we cannot say, if we look at it biblically, is that the cross was just an unfortunate happening. That it was just something that God did not intend. Oh no. When we look at the cross biblically, the first thing we have to say is that it was part of God's plan from forever and ever ago to redeem mankind and save us. But I want to put that insight that it was God's predetermined plan. I want to put that insight right alongside another one that's equally true. And here it is. One thing we also learn from Scripture about Jesus' death on the cross is that it was not only part of God's plan from the beginning, but it was also the work of wicked men. The work of wicked people. Let me show you again from the book of Acts. This again is one of those early sermons that Peter is preaching. It's Acts chapter 3 and 12 and following. Here's what he's saying. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? What's going on there is Peter and John were going to the temple as their normal practice. And they came upon a lame, a lame man who had been lame from birth. And every day, his friends would bring him and lay him at the gate called Beautiful. And he was there begging for money. Peter and John walked by him one day. They look at him intently and they say, hey, I don't have any money. But what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And the man was instantly healed. Look at verse 13. Peter says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified His servant Jesus. In other words, what Peter is saying, look, Jewish folk, the same God that our forebears father, and by the way, I'm a Jew as well, that same God has done something extraordinary in the life of Christ and His crucifixion and His resurrection. And it's through the power that was released at the cross that this man, this lame man, was made to walk. But then Peter goes a little further. Notice what he says in verse 13. He looks right at those people. And he says, this Jesus is the one 
whom you delivered. You delivered him. Over, you denied him in the presence of Pilate. And when he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And then finally, Peter just says really directly to them, it's in verse 15, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Do you see what we're seeing here as we begin to look at the death of Christ, to survey it? When we take more than just a quick look or a glance, here's what we're going to see, and, it, and I want to give it to you in, a, very, in a, a simple single sentence. Here's what it is. This is what we're learning. The cross teaches us both God's sovereignty and human responsibility. In other words, God's plans and purposes and human responsibility. And what we see here is that both God's sovereignty, His plans and purposes that will be done, that transcends all things that exist there, it also comes side by side alongside human responsibility, and they come together at the cross. So when we ask, why did Jesus die on the cross? You have to say more than one thing. You have to say, well, there were wicked people. There was Pilate. There were the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the high priest, who didn't consider him the Messiah, who were envious of him, who wanted him eliminated. There were the just general folk that were there that day and were saying, crucify him, crucify him. They wanted a murderer released rather than Jesus released by Pilate. And yet at the very same time, in the very same moment, all that's happening, Jesus going to the cross was God's plan. It was determined in advance. It was God's will. It was His plans, His purposes. Why? To accomplish the salvation of His people. May I just say that at some moment in our lives, most of us at one point or the other want to get rid of one of those. Do we not? We want to get rid of either God's sovereignty or our human responsibility. And may I say, maybe you're like me, I tend to lean towards getting rid of my responsibility, right? And when we internally feel that tension as both of those truths are together at one point in our lives, we just say, how can, these, how can this be true? But yet the Bible never allows us to dismiss one of those. And oftentimes in a single verse in the Scripture, it marries God's sovereignty and responsibility. We've already seen it. And listen, beloved, Get this, it's only when we embrace that and hold those two truths together that we really understand life. And we really understand our own lives. I was reminded of how we sometimes want to deal with this. There was a famous pastor who was supposed to preach at a Bible conference. 
And he was late getting there, and he was late because the plane that he was traveling, that he was booked on, had mechanical difficulties. And the airline delayed him for quite some time. And so everybody at the conference is waiting on him until he shows up. He finally gets there late. They introduce him. He stands up to speak. And he said, y'all, I just want to say I'm late because God is sovereign. That's the way he began his, his message. That's a pretty good excuse, is it not? <laughs> God's sovereign. I'm late. Must have been his plan. But that wasn't all he said. He said, I'm late because God is sovereign, but Delta Airlines is responsible. <laughs> we might chuckle about that, but it's true, is it not? Now watch this. When we learn to hold on to both of these truths, to embrace them, in the middle of uncertainty and mystery, profound mystery, when we learn to embrace those two truths in our lives, it teaches us especially about the most painful things we experience. The suffering that we're going through, the un explained events in our lives or in, in around us, that surround us, when times are hard. And when we embrace both of those truths, it teaches us the right questions to ask. Instead of asking that why God would allow bad things to happen to good people, if we acknowledge God's sovereignty, we'll ask this, we say this, Lord, what do you want to teach me to teach us through this pain? We say, Lord, how do you want to grow me? And then when it comes to our human responsibility, we can face the fact that maybe the suffering and the pain and the loss that we're experiencing is a result of the wrongdoing or negligence of someone else. Or maybe... It's a result of our own sin and our own bad choices. Like me eating chocolate moose cake yesterday. <laughs> That's my second joke, sorry. You see, church, when we put these two together, when we embrace the reality of God's sovereignty and human responsibility as God did at the cross, when we embrace those things, then and only then can we grow in spiritual maturity and wisdom. I thought that would get an amen. Also, when we look at the significance of the death of Christ, as we take this long, lingering look, here's the third thing we see, that Jesus' death on the cross was motivated by God's great love for us. His great love for us. The Bible states that in a variety of places, but nowhere more clearly then 1 John 4, starting in verse 9 through 11, when we survey the cross, when we look at the significance of the death of Christ, we should not only see God's sovereignty and human responsibility meeting there at the cross, but written in big, bold letters across the crossbar of the cross is this. I love you. The message from God. I love you. I loved you enough to send you my son. That's my son there. 
Listen, church, when we think about what motivated God to send Him, what motivated Christ in His own human responsibility to willingly go, it was God's love. It was His mercy. It was His boundless grace. It was His desire to save us. But right alongside God's love, here's another biblical truth. His love had a price. And here it is. Jesus' death on the cross was where He took the punishment and absorbed the wrath that was due for the sins of those He came to save. We've already seen the key word here. We read it out loud a while ago together. And I think some of you might have hesitated when, they came, when you came to this word. It's a multisyllable word. It's not one we use often. And especially if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to church, welcome. You may not know this word. You may not be familiar, but I want you to understand it. I want us to understand it today before we leave and take it away with us. And this word appears in another place in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Let me show you. Look at it with me. It, it, this is the first verse. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. So in other words, John is saying, look, the best plan for you is not to sin. <laughs> it's to follow God's commandments. It's to obey Him in every way in His Word, what His Word has taught. But if we do sin, God has provided a remedy. He provided a man. There's an advocate. It's Christ Jesus he speaks to the Father on our behalf. Do you know, church, that at this very moment in our time, Christ is advocating for us before the Father? He's praying for us. And then look at verse 2. Here's the word. He, Christ, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation. It's a great biblical word. Church, <laughs> I used to hope I could even spell it right when I was in seminary. And I mean, thank God for spell check, right? <laughs> well, you say, what in the world does that word mean, Pastor? What does it mean when John says he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world? Well, here it is. The word propitiation is the Greek New Testament word hilosmos. And here's what it means. Glory to God. It means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. Listen, I can stop right now. This is the significance of the cross. The wrath that we all so richly deserved, Christ bore on our behalf. And He turned it to our favor. God's holiness and justice required that sin be punished and I should receive that punishment and wrath for my rebellion against God. But Christ absorbed it. 
So the cross is not the only place. It's not just the place where God's sovereignty and human responsibility meet. It's also the place where God's love and justice meet. Beloved, if you've ever wondered, if you've ever doubted that you're loved, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but maybe there's been a season in your life, there's certainly been one in mine, where I wondered if I was loved. You need to look no further than the cross of Christ. But as we look at that cross and recognize that love, we also need to see that there was justice involved. That the wrath of God that was due to penalize the sin was poured out on Christ. As I wrap up today, I, I, want, to, I want us to take one last lingering look. And I'd like to invite you with me in your mind's eye to travel to the foot of the cross that fateful day where He hung suspended between heaven and earth an unimaginable pain, not only the physical pain of that vicious death, but can you imagine the emotional weight that He was carrying? Are you reminded this morning as I am of the weight of your own sin? I know I am. But imagine as John wrote that he was the propitiation not only for, he said, our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Can you imagine? So as he hangs there in physical pain, in emotional pain that's indescribable, without complaint, without protest, he asked the Father to forgive them, and by extension, forgive us. Because, beloved, it was our sin that held him there as well. Jesus is drinking the cup that he asked at Gethsemane to be removed. There's a supernatural darkness that descends over the land at midday. And he cries out in his anguish, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because you see, the cost for that weight of sin that needed to be satisfied, the cost as this sinless Son of Man died, the cost was He would be forsaken and separated from His Father. He knew something He never had known before. And beloved church, because He knew that, we will never have to be alone. You see, even in the moment of our death, we're never alone. But He was. I believe many of you have experienced aloneness. The depth of abandonment and rejection in the human experience. And it defies maybe explanation. You've been forsaken. You've been rejected. But can I share with you, church? Here's the good news. He was alone, so you never have to be alone. In the midst of your aloneness, 
You don't have to say, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you're a follower of Christ, he will be with you till the end. You see, the nails that were driven into his hands and feet, those nails didn't keep him on the cross. He could have called it all off. But what kept him on the cross was this. It was that God's plan from the beginning of the ages was for him to do that. And maybe you remember his words, Lord, if there's a way that this can pass from me, this cup, let me know. But if not, your will be done, not mine. He willingly did that. You see his sovereignty of God and his and Christ's human responsibility. And, I, and so the nails didn't hold him there. But I want to share with you this morning, church. Those nails did accomplish something. They had a purpose. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Colossae. And he was talking in these terms. He said there was a record of debt. It's a word chirograph. That stood against all of us. And by the way, what that means is that everyone in here, everyone in here has a record of debt that stood against, that stands against you. And it's a legal document. It was a legal Roman document. And here's how that deal worked. If you had a debt, this record of debt that you couldn't pay, what the practice of the day was, is this document would be brought to your house and it would be nailed to your door so that everyone that would come by would see that you were deadbeat <laughs> and you couldn't de- pay your debt. Do you remember when, if you had a return check, if you wrote a check that bounced and they would put it, by the way, a check is for you young guys, is something you write out, I owe this. <laughs> but do you remember the day when they would post those checks in the stores? <laughs> to embarrass and humiliate you. Well, that's what's happened with us. There was a record of debt that was nailed to our door that none of us could pay. But what Christ, the transaction that happened on the cross, the business transaction of that, is the nails that were nailed through Him took our record of debt from our door and put it on the cross. So we bear it no more. Since Horatio Spafford said when he wrote that amazing song, My sin, oh my sin, the glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. It's been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. It is well. It is well with my soul. Here's the hard truth. If you're here today, and you don't know that reality, that your record of debt has been nailed to the cross. Right this minute, every breath you draw, you're under a curse. So I want to invite you today. I want to invite you to this. I believe that the Lord has been and will continue to send Folks our way to Huddle Bible. They're going to come from the east and the west. They're going to come from the north and the south. They're going to come because they're thirsty. They're going to come from desert waste places. They're going to come because they're looking for answers. They're looking for truth in a culture, in a world where truth means nothing 
to our culture. But they're looking for a city to dwell in. And this is the place. This is the place where truth will be proclaimed. This is the place where gospel will be spoken. If that's you, if you're looking for that truth, if you're living in rebellion, I'm, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me as I close. And this prayer, you, you may want to pray it out loud. But however you choose to do it, I want you to know that today is a day that you can know the truth about your sin. And you can forever be called a child of God. Why don't you pray with me? Dear God, thank You so much for sending Your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins. I acknowledge before You my sinful nature. I am sorry for my sinful choices. Please have mercy on me and forgive me. I trust and receive Jesus as my Savior today. I commit my life to Him. I will confess Him and follow Him as my Lord. Thank You for hearing my prayer today, O God. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.